Good morning, everybody. My name is Matthew Bartowell, and I will be sharing a lesson with you this morning, filling in for Jeff Kreider. Um, I was thinking, we're preparing for Easter, right? Um, that's coming up pretty soon. And there's more that we have to do to prepare for Easter than hiding Easter eggs and all the, you know, filling Easter baskets and things like that. Um, it's so easy to get caught up in like the Hallmark calendar so often that we miss out on the Christian calendar and where we are in the story of Jesus's life. And so right now, where we are is leading towards the death of Jesus on the cross. And so some Christians call this period the period of Lent, where we reflect on our death. And that's the exciting topic I have for you this morning. <laughs> death. All right, there you go. Uh, memento mori, the Latin phrase that means, remember, you have to die. Um, and if you will just kind of indulge this thought for a little bit. I think it's one of those we like to push away. I do too. Um, it's not a very pleasant thing to think about dying. But it is apparently an important thing that we ought to do. So let's think about why it could be important. Why it might not be as morbid as you think and what it might produce in us as we prepare for Easter, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. So if I could get the next slide. Thank you very much. Okay, here's some reasons why I think you should remember uh, that you have to die and why it would be good for you to do so. Number one, I'm going to have to do this a lot today. Um, I should have asked for that mic, I realize now. Uh, okay, one, reflecting on death can clarify what's really important. Right? It's very easy to be distracted. It's very easy to lose sight of what's important. And reflecting on death can help us clarify this. Second thing, Jesus thought about his death. The passage that Travis read was Jesus reflecting on his death. And there are many moments prior to that where Jesus mentions the kind of death that he's going to die, but the disciples are too obtuse at that moment to realize what he's talking about. The third reason, Jesus calls us not just to die one day, but to die every day, to die to ourselves daily. Um, and we think about the connection between death and, and dying to ourselves every day. We can see the, the productive uh, methods there. And then finally, and we'll end on this. You want to, oh, it's up there too. I can't see that far away, but thank you. Uh, a little bit. Jesus frees us from the fear of death. And importantly on that point, I want to mention, he does not free us from death. That's not what the scripture says. We're going to look at that. He frees us from the fear of death. And let's think about what that means. Okay, so point number one here on the, the next slide, first passage to look at, Genesis 3. The thing to emphasize here, these are the curses that happen after the fall in the Garden of Eden. And look at that those last few lines. Okay, he says, um, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. You'll have to toil when we work now until uh, you return to the ground for from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you will return. And so if you think about the beginning of the season of Lent, Ash Wednesday, we see many folks in this town especially walking around with ashes marked on their foreheads in the sign of a cross and they are marking this period of remembering that we have to die. So we should remember it because we have to do it. 
Okay, it is coming for all of us. Hopefully not for a very long time, but it is coming. We're gonna, thank you. Sorry about that. This will make everybody more comfortable, I think. Let's, thank you. How's that? Not good. How about now? Hello? Good? Okay. So, I didn't mention this, but I am a English professor. And you know when I'm up here, I'm gonna show you a story. And that's what I have today. So, can we get the next slide? All right. This is a story, and he's laughing because he knows what it is. It's called Leaf by Niggle. It's a story by J.R.R. Tolkien. And the term niggle is an Old Norse term that means obsessive worry about details. Maybe you feel that way sometimes. We all feel that way sometimes. So this character in the story is obsessively worried about small, tiny details, okay? And I wanna read you a little bit of this as a case study in remembering your death and the benefits that can come from doing it. So here we go. Okay, there once was a little man called Niggle who had a long journey to make. He did not want to go. Indeed, the whole idea was distasteful to him, but he could not get out of it. He knew he would have to start sometime, but he did not hurry with his preparations. Niggle was a painter, not a very successful one, partly because he had many other things to do. Many of these things he thought were a nuisance, but he did them fairly well when he could not get out of them, which in his opinion was far too often. There were other hindrances too, for one thing, he was sometimes just idle and did nothing at all. For another, he was kind-hearted in a way. You know the sort of kind heart. It made him uncomfortable more than it made him do anything. And even when he did anything, it did not prevent him from grumbling, losing his temper, and swearing mostly to himself. All the same, it did land him in a good many odd jobs for his neighbor, Mr. Parrish, a man with a lame leg. Okay. First paragraph there. Niggle has a long journey to make. And it was something that he's known about for a long time, but he didn't like the idea of this journey that he had to make, and so he kept putting off his preparations. Now, I want to posit to you now that that is Tolkien giving us this kind of fairy tale story about death. Okay, here's a man. He's got a long journey to make. That long journey is death but he doesn't want to do it. He's very busy with his paintings. He's very busy with his work. He knows it's coming, but he keeps putting it off. Now, what kind of preparations could he make is a question we could try to answer, but ultimately he doesn't make those preparations very, very well. What Nigel likes to paint particularly is this next image I see behind. This is an actual illustration by Tolkien for this short story, and it's a tree. It's Nigel's tree. And the thing that he likes about this tree is the leaves on the tree. He wants to draw every leaf um, in perfect detail, in different kind of styles, but all feeling like of a piece, of a, of a larger work. And you can kind of see that with this arabesque pattern, the branches weaving in and out, and the flowers and the leaves that appear on this tree. But Nigel is the kind of painter who is so obsessed with the details that he cannot sometimes see the tree for the leaves, right? Or see the forest for the trees. He can't see the big picture. He's focused on those little tiny details. 
And I want to just put that out there right now for you to think about for yourself and for myself. Right? How often are we like this? We know we have important things to do. We know we have a long journey to make that's coming up somewhere down the road. And we, all, we know we ought to get ready for it, but we put it off. And we're focused on the little tiny details. Okay, can we get the next slide? All right, this is the passage that Travis read. And what I want you to see here is the way Jesus talks about death. And yes, it is unpleasant to think about death, but the way that Jesus depicts it here offers a different kind of way of thinking about it that I think is explicitly Christian, distinctly Christian. Take a look. Okay, verse 24. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What does that mean? The kernel that falls to the ground. How many of you are planting gardens this time of year? Got your little seedlings started somewhere? Those seeds seem dormant, right? Those seeds seem dead until you plant them, until they sprout. And then, a few months down the road, you might be in for a harvest of tomatoes or whatever happens to be growing. Jesus is talking about death as a kind of planting. And in other places in Scripture, it talks about death like this, that you plant the perishable so that you can reap the imperishable. And so here, the seed dies, and that's all we can see right now. But down the road, it will produce a harvest. This is a promise that we get from Jesus. And then, he says... um, Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. And so we think about where Jesus is kind of at this time of year in the Christian calendar, moving towards the cross. Where are we going to be found? We're going to be found right there with him, going through the thing that he went through one day. And if we prepare for that now, we'll be better equipped to deal with it when it comes, potentially, or at least clarifying things for us so that we don't get distracted by those leaves, those tiny leaves that we can fixate on instead of the bigger picture. Okay, can we get that next slide? Thank you. All right, next bit here. So the story is that Niggle wants to paint his painting of, of these leaves in the tree, but his neighbor, Mr. Parrish, who has a lame leg, keeps asking him for stuff. And he's supposed to love his neighbor, right? He's supposed to take care of his neighbor, but he's irritated by this because he wants more time to work on his painting. But he knows that, okay, Mr. Parrish's wife is sick. I've got to go to ride into the doctor and get some medicine for her. And all of this is time away from the thing he really wants to be doing, which is working on this painting. So he takes the time to ride out. He calls on the doctor. He gets the medicine. He brings it back. But because he had to ride all that way in the rain, he gets sick. So there's more time away from his painting. And when he's finally ready, he's up on his ladder and he's painting on his canvas in comes the inspector of houses and this little fairy tale version of this story about death. And that's what we get here. Your neighbor's house is not satisfactory at all, said the inspector. I know, said Niggle. I took a note to the builders a long time ago, but they have never come. Then I have been ill. I see, said the inspector. But you are not ill now. You should have helped your neighbor to make temporary repairs and prevent the damage from getting more costly to mend than necessary. That is the law, 
There is plenty of material here. Canvas, wood, waterproof paint. Where? asked Engel indignantly. There, said the inspector, pointing to the picture. Niggle said no more, for at that moment, another man came in, very much like the inspector he was, almost as double, tall, dressed in all black. Come along, he said. I am the driver. Driver? Driver, Niggle chattered. Driver of what? You and your carriage, said the man. The carriage was ordered long ago. It has come at last. It is waiting. You start today on your journey, you know. There now, said the inspector, you'll have to go, but it's a bad way to start out on your journey, leaving your jobs undone. Still, we can at least make some use of this canvas now. Oh, dear, said poor Nagel, beginning to weep, and it's not, not even finished. Okay, there's Nagel lamenting the work left undone, and he could not carry off his vision of that tree and put it into the painting, and before he's able to get even close to that, even close to what he would consider to be finished, his time is up. The inspector of houses comes, that's kind of an interesting character in the story, who or what that might be. He hasn't really taken care of his neighbor the way he ought to have done, and his work is undone. But they're gonna take that painting now and use it to patch Parrish's roof? It's a terrible outcome for poor Niggle to have. And then in comes the driver, who is going to take him away on his journey. It's time, you gotta pack, and he doesn't have any bags packed, all he can do is throw together a few paintbrushes and he leaves his bag at the train station. So he ends up going to this place, which I think for Tolkien is like a, a purgatorial state, right? So he has died and he is now in a workhouse and he's learning something. And what is he learning? I think that's what we can see on the next slide. Okay, this is from Jeff's sermon last week. Um, Jesus speaking to his disciples, then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? And I think it's interesting to consider that when Jesus is telling his disciples to take up their cross and follow him, he has not yet been crucified, right? He's not yet carried his cross. He's telling them about something. He's sort of foreshadowing his death here. But they don't have that reference point. We have that reference point. They don't. If you're going to follow me, Jesus tells them, you must take up your cross and you must move towards your own death and you must do it daily. So what does this mean? I think we know. We have a sense for this, right? I have my own innate kind of impulses or my own innate desires and I want to do the things I want to do. And I don't want to do the things I don't want to do. And one of those things might be reflecting on the end of my life. One of those things might be using my painting to patch my neighbor's roof. One of those uh, things might be caring for my neighbor in other ways that, that only we can talk about in our individual lives. But dying to ourselves means reorienting those priorities, putting that part of us to death, but not in a morbid way. Right? Because we know, as Jesus says here, if we put our lives to death, then we'll save it somehow. Right? There's something mysterious about this. I'm not sure exactly how to see it all very clearly, but there's something about death that is a planting of a seed. 
There is something about dying daily, dying to ourselves, dying to our sins, our sinful nature, our impulses, that ends up saving us in the end. If we give it away, if we pour ourselves out for others, as we are so often reluctant to do. And so Jesus tells them, you must die to yourselves daily. And if you do this, somehow, paradoxically, you're going to save your life. Okay, can we get the next bit? Okay, now this is Niggle in the workhouse. And he is learning how to work. He's, he's learning discipline, basically. And I think that's part of what we do during this period of, of Easter as we look forward to the death of Jesus. We are doing something to discipline ourselves. Right? If you fast during this period of time at all, what you are doing is disciplining your body to tell it that you don't need food as much as you think you do. You, you know, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Right? We're, we're doing something to discipline ourselves, to teach ourselves that we don't need the things we think we need. Right? And I think this is what's happening with Nigel in this image. So, it says, at first, during the first century or so, I'm merely giving his impressions. He used to worry aimlessly about the past. One thing he kept on repeating to himself as he lay in the dark, I wish I had called on parish the first morning after the high winds began. I meant to. The first loose tiles would have been easy to fix. Then Mrs. Parrish might never have caught cold. Then I should not have caught cold either. Then I should, not have, then I should have had a week longer. Look at that regret that he's feeling as he's reflecting on his life, on what he might have done differently. This is that obsessive fixation on the details. This is really not what Nigel ought to be worried about, but look how long it takes him to get rid of that feeling of worry here in this story. Centuries of time pass until he sort of forgets that part. Okay, and then we can get the next slide. Nigel got no pleasure out of life not what he had been used to call pleasure. He certainly was not amused, but it could not be denied that he began to have a feeling of, well, satisfaction. Bread, rather than jam. He could take up a task the moment one bell rang and lay it aside promptly the moment the next one went, all tidy and ready to be continued at the right time. He got through quite a lot in a day. He had no time of his own, except alone in his cell bed. And yet he was becoming master of his time. He began to know just what he could do with it. There was no sense of rush. He was quieter on the inside now. And at resting time, he could really rest. This is Nigel dying to himself, in a way, right? And if we reflect on our deaths now, during this Lent season, going into um, Good Friday, the death of Jesus and resurrection, we might also find a similar kind of reorientation happening in our own lives. If we die to ourselves, we can put away the things that distract us, the things that we worry about, we think are so important, those little details that we obsess over, to see what's really important. And here, he's learning that. And he's learning to be better disciplined, right? How to paint when I can paint, but then I can also go help my neighbor and come back to my painting. And if only I had learned this sooner, right? Things would have gone easier for him at this stage in his sort of afterlife experience. And so there is a bit of a, an anecdote, a little a example of what can happen when you think about death, when you reflect on it, and when you allow it to change you, when you die to yourself every day like Jesus calls us to do. 
Okay, we can get the next slide. All right, now we get to the good part in the story. Um, this is after Niggle has spent time in the workhouse. And he's learned some things about himself. Something really good happens to him after this. He's got these voices sort of like watching over him. They're like doctors. You know, How's the case of Niggle going? And they say, I think it might be time that he gets some gentle treatment. He's, he's gone through this hard process. Now let's give him some gentle treatment. And for Tolkien, he calls this thing that happens in fairy stories, he calls it a eucatastrophe. Which, you know, you know a catastrophe, right? A sudden bad thing that happens. But for Tolkien, a eucatastrophe is a sudden good thing that happens. And the definition that he gives it is, it's a sudden joyous turn, not a sudden sorrowful turn. A sudden and miraculous grace never to be counted on to recur. And Tolkien believes that we see this in our fairy tales. That's why fairy tales have happy endings. Because we are catching a glimpse of this eucatastrophic moment that happened in the gospel. And for Tolkien, the gospel is the true fairy story. It's the thing that really happened. It's when story and history met together in the same moment. And he sees this in the death, the resurrection of Jesus. That's the real historical eucatastrophe. And we just keep telling versions of it in our literature, in our movies. Anything, anytime when you see that, what you're doing is you're catching a glimpse of that resurrection. Let me get the next slide. Okay, um, this is Hebrews. I know, how, I know how long it is, but we're not going to read it all here, okay? So, in putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one that makes people holy and those that are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. That's you and me. And then the final paragraph. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. And for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. This is what Tolkien thought was the true eucatastrophe, that true sudden good turn, never to be counted on again to recur. And it's the resurrection of Jesus. Look at what he frees us from. Look at what he breaks in his death. He breaks the power of death. And he frees us from the fear of death, but not from death itself. And I think so often, I think about this. We think about going backwards. 
we think about going back to Eden. Now, I want to go back to before the fall. But that's not possible. We can't go back. We can only go forward. And we can only go toward death and through death and what's on the other side of death. We don't know that, right? We can't see that yet, but we can see Jesus, who was the pioneer of our faith and our salvation, the firstborn among the redeemed and the resurrected. And that's the hope that we have. Let's see how Tolkien puts this into his story, if we get the next slide. So now you've got uh, Niggle, and he is getting his gentle treatment. So he's taken a train somewhere, and he sees beautiful pasture, beautiful grass and, and terrain and everything, and he starts to ride his bicycle down this path. Take a look. Niggle pushed open the gate, jumped on the bicycle, and went bowling downhill in the spring sunshine. Before long, he found that the path on which he had started had disappeared, and the bicycle was rolling along over a marvelous turf. It was green and close, and yet he could see every blade distinctly. That reminds you of his little tree, right? His leaves and his tree. It was green. Yeah, I said that already. He seemed to remember having seen or dreamed that sweep of grass somewhere or other. A great green shadow came between him and the sun. Nigel looked up and fell off his bicycle. Before him stood the tree, his tree, finished. If you could say that of a tree that was alive, its leaves opening, its branches growing and bending in the wind that Nigel had so often felt or guessed and had so often failed to catch. He gazed at the tree and slowly he lifted his arms and opened them wide. It's a gift, he said. He was referring to his art and also to the result, but he was using the word quite literally. Do you see what's happening here? He goes into this sort of like heavenly place now. So no longer in purgatory, maybe the beginnings of this heavenly place. And what does he find there but his tree, the tree that he started to paint, that he could never quite get just right, right? Like the breeze that he could, he's feeling there that he sensed in his life and tried to put into his painting. And now he actually gets to see it fulfilled and perfected and completed. There's your catastrophe, right? And this is just the beginning for him of moving into um, what heaven has in store for him. So, um, get the next slide here. As you leave here today, try to reflect on death. Try to do that for the next couple of weeks, at least until Easter. Once Easter comes, we can celebrate, right? But until Easter is here, let's see if we can sit with this for a little while and see what it might produce in us. So remember that dying, thinking about dying, can help clarify what's really important in your life so we don't focus on those little details. Right? It, Jesus did it and calls on us to do it, to reflect on our death so that we can um, orient our priorities better, and understand what we ought to do. We can die to ourselves and discipline ourselves so that we're better equipped for death when it comes. And then finally, um, there isn't dread, I don't think, when we think about death. And that's what we have to offer the world. The world is afraid of death. The world is held in slavery to the fear of death. Christians can offer freedom from that, not from death, but from the fear of it. Okay, so as you go out into the world, be that light and spread that um, to those that you come into contact with.